Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Jimmy Kimmel will be hosting the Oscars for the fourth time. Do you like him as host? What do you expect from him? He does a really good job of skirting the line between having fun, but also respecting the evening. You, you can't go too far off. You know, it, granted, it's the toughest job in the world because you're playing to a crowd that's not really there to be entertained. They're all nervous about whether or not they're going to win, you know, and you can't make too much fun of them because it's their biggest night. But you got to have a little bit of fun poking fun at them. Hi, everybody. I'm Fran Spielman. My guest this week is the best movie critic there is, the Sun-Times movie critic, I'm happy to say, Richard Roper. Rich, thanks for joining us. Fran, that is the finest introduction I've ever gotten, and I agree with everything you've said. Oh, good. I'm glad it's confirmed then. It's Oscar time, otherwise known as the Super Bowl of movies. Are you excited? And if so, what excites you about this time of year? You know, friend, that's a great question because it's always a mixed bag for me. As you know, of course, I've seen these movies. I've seen all these movies, you know, 10 months ago. So there's a part of me that says, oh, I just want to get on with it and talk about new releases. But I also love the fact that we're celebrating these great films. And in particular this year, and I'll tell you why, friend, this is a particularly memorable year. You know, we're a couple of years past the worst of COVID in terms of shutdowns and things like that. And a few years ago, all the movie theaters in America were shut down, mostly around the world. And I was seeing everything via links. And there was a lot of talk about whether or not theaters were ever going to reopen. And the great news is, as we saw last summer, not only have the theaters all opened, but with Barbie and Oppenheimer, we were reminded about the joys of seeing movies on the big screen. So Barbie made $1.5 billion dollars. Oppenheimer made hundreds of millions of dollars. So I think it's a it's a really a celebratory Oscars this year. There isn't a whole lot of suspense to this year's Oscars. Why is that, do you think? It's because we have more run-ups now, more award shows. You know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, people didn't know about the BAFTAs, you know, basically the British Academy Awards. Uh, the SAG Awards weren't really a big draw. Uh, so you have, you know, the Golden Globes have had their ups and downs. So now it's sort of like, and you know this this world very well. Now it's sort of like the political season. You know, by the time you get to the general election, we've had the primaries, we've had some early contenders fall by the wayside. So if if you know, for example, Oppenheimer's winning everything, it's going to win Best Picture. You can't, you know, and there's the Directors Guild Awards and the Producers Guild and the Writers Guild. And people also pay a lot more attention to that because it's all on streaming and social media. 
there's a lot more kind of a lot more people feel like they know about the industry. So by the time we get to the Oscars, you're right. Uh, a lot of the suspense has been removed. Is anything up for grabs? Yeah. You know, that that's also uh, OK. First of all, you know, we talk about Oscar ballots. I'll put in a plug. You know, I do the Beat the Critic contest. You can see my whole ballot on, at, on the Sun-Times website. So we know, Fran, that Oppenheimer is going to win Best Picture. We know Robert Downey Jr. is going to win Best Supporting Actor. But if you look at, for example, Best Actress, I thought for sure Lily Gladstone was going to win for Killers of the Flower Moon. I hope she wins. But Emma Stone's getting a lot of uh, momentum and a lot of wins for poor things. So, you know, we actually have odds makers now who literally, you know, put odds on it just like they do at the Super Bowl. They've got that as kind of a toss up. And we have the same thing in the best actor category where Killian Murphy for Oppenheimer and Paul Giamatti uh, for the holdovers are kind of neck and neck. So there is some suspense in some major categories. And I bet you can bet on that in Vegas, right? You know, I don't Vegas. I think they're, you know, they shy away from the entertainment betting just because they're, you know, they're afraid people might have inside information. I know for sure uh, in England and Ireland, uh, offshore, there are some online places. What they do, though, or whether it's, you know, betting on award shows or you can even bet on like Dancing with the Stars or The Bachelor. They limit the amount you can bet, Fran, because somebody knows. You know, uh, you, you know, even with the Oscars, it's usually they, they claim it's just those two accountants. And of course, a few years ago, the wrong name was on the envelope or the wrong name. Was <laughs> I right remember off. that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Moonlight, you guys won. Oops. Uh, which, of course, <laughs> just fuels all the conspiracy theories. But so that, so you can bet, but you can't bet a lot because, you know, it's sort of like. The, you know, for the Super Bowl, you could bet on the length of the national anthem. Well, what if Reba McIntyre decides she wants to put a million dollars on her going two and a half minutes? You know, she could control it. <laughs> this has been a difficult year for the movie business, but a very good one at the box office, as you mentioned. First of all, we had the very long and difficult strike. What surprised you about that and the agreement that ended it? <laughs> Well, you know, I, I, I saw this coming. Um, what I, I guess what surprised me is that even in this day and age, we talk about how, you know, people, I think, are much more sophisticated when it comes to whether it's politics, sports, entertainment, because there's so much information. But in particular, you know, with the writer strike and the actor strike, I saw a lot of people saying, oh, you know, these people make so much money. They're so rich. Why are they striking? And you know this, friend, you know, in both those unions, the vast majority of people at best make working wages and a lot of them don't at all, you know? So yes, you have superstars who make tons of money and you have, you know, writers, but even for, for example, the bear, which is, uh, you know, of course a Chicago based show and they just started uh, filming season three. If you're a writer on the bear, you get paid for the weeks you write on the bear. It's not a full-time year round job. They sometimes go a year between filming and writing and if you're a crew member, et cetera, if you're, an, uh, you know, the 10th actor on the show, you're not you're not getting rich. But you're also there are a lot of times when you're not working. So the union agreements are very important because not just about how much you're going to get paid. It's about your health insurance. It's about your benefits. It's about protections like that. So, it, you know, I felt there was a double edged sword, honestly, friend, when you see famous actors on the picket line, because I know they want to support their union, but I think it sends a mixed message because people see somebody who makes seven million dollars a movie on the picket line. And you're like, oh, you're just showboating. But they're really what they're doing is they're supporting 
the rest of the union. And how did the settlement resolve these concerns about artificial intelligence and compensation for streaming? I think I think in the streaming part, you know, a lot of it has to do with, OK, if this is going to run forever on Netflix, shouldn't I still get paid? I think that was that is a little bit more in favor of the unions. I think artificial intelligence, that's going to come up again. I don't think it's been resolved because the technology is changing so quickly. So, you know, it's going to be a part. It already has. What do you want to call it? Artificial intelligence or CGI you know, if, if you see a movie where there's 75,000 people in this, you know, even like, for example, Ted Lasso, I saw rough cuts of Ted Lasso when, when they were doing the soccer and or football scenes, there's about a hundred people in the stands, you know, right in the three rows behind the bench. And then it's all just green screen. And then they fill it in with 50,000 artificially computer generated fans. Cause you're not going to yeah. get 70,000 people. You can't, you can't afford no. to pay them, you know, so you're going to have it. You know, the, the bigger questions are things like, uh, you know, using images of Tom Hanks without his permission, taking all of the words he's uttered on screen and creating a whole new movie with a young Tom Hanks without his permission. And that's really tricky because we've seen a little bit of that already. You know, we see Harrison Ford de-aged for Indiana Jones or uh, De Niro for The Irishman. And honestly, I, I, the technology isn't all the way there, but it's going to get there. So that's my long-winded say, way of saying to you, I don't think they've resolved it yet because there are issues that are going to keep coming up with AI. Absolutely. And yet, in spite of this difficulty, this was a fabulous year at the box office with the phenomenon, as you mentioned, that came to be known as Barbenheimer. Barbie and Oppenheimer, two blockbuster hits coming out on the same weekend, I believe, both proving to be extraordinarily popular with movie goers. Barbie didn't surprise me on that front. It had tremendous popular appeal with older moviegoers who played with Barbie and also with mm. the younger ones who didn't but loved the ingenuity, the imagination, the novelty of Greta Gerwig's writing and directing and, and the stars that she chose. But Oppenheimer, to me, was a surprise, an incredibly intriguing story for people of your and my generation. But what surprised me about this was it had broad appeal and and moviegoers who are customer, accustomed to you know watching in the comfort of their home were willing to go to the movies and sit there for three and a half hours for a dense and complicated movie about the man behind the atom bomb, which was not so easy to understand. Did that surprise you? Fran, you, you summed it up perfectly. It did surprise me because, you know, if, if people even knew the name, they just know that phrase, Father of the Atomic Bomb. You know, you may, might remember something from high school or college, you know, history books, a little bit about it. I mean, so it did surprise me. You know, Christopher Nolan uh, has become one of the maybe two dozen directors in the world who are also famous, you know, Scorsese and Spielberg. Greta Gerwig is now in that category uh, where their films become events because of all the things he did with The Dark Knight. So, you know, when Christopher Nolan makes a movie, it's an event movie. It's something you have to see on the big screen. Uh, there was a lot of star power. But all that being said, I thought it was going to be a tough sell, you know, as you mentioned it, because I, I I still to this day have heard from people who say, well, that just sounds like a long homework assignment, man. You know? and, <laughs> that and was it, the it book. Could... You know, American Prometheus was like that. I, I, I needed a picture of water to get through it. I, you know, I, I'll be honest. It's one of those books where I say I read it, but it's, you know, you read it. But, you know, once in a while you go, I wonder if I jumped ahead 50 pages, you know, and we'd be only a week 
further along with the story. Well, <laughs> um, you know, one of the I think one of the reasons it did so well too is that Oppenheimer, you know, was not your typical uh, nerdy wallflower. He was kind of a rock star, you know, and uh, the way they, you know, you, you get into the weeds here, but you know, the costumes and the, the production design and stuff. And we saw that he was kind of a ladies man. So, you know, there was a lot more going on in his personal life. I don't know if, you know, when you, when you do movies about Einstein, you know, he just rode his bike and wore this, you know, they famously wore the same outfit every day. So he didn't have to think about it. So, and there was, you know, then, then all the political intrigue and the investigations and the hearings and everything. Uh, but still, when I saw it, I loved it. And I thought, man, I hope this does well. So the fact that it made all this money, and it's interesting, you mentioned, you know, everybody talked about Barbie, Barbenheimer, and they, they really, both studios and both filmmakers and everybody involved really embrace that. They're like, these are two very different movies. Guess what? You can see one on Friday and one on Sunday, you know? So it really was, I can't remember the last time we had, you know, two films come out like that. Uh, I think there was uh, The Matrix and something else 20 years ago, you know, came out on the same day. But we almost never get that anymore. And it's really cool. And it was really great to see audiences, not just in the States, but worldwide. I mean, that's another thing. You know, <laughs> you look at the politics of the world, not everybody's like rooting for the United States, you know. But uh, I think the film did a great job of getting into all of that without becoming a political lecture or a uh, a, a debate on the morality of it that was going on with the characters the film itself didn't just said here's what happened now you pick oppenheimer for best picture the big one you also pick christopher nolan for best director i think that's pretty consensus you predict the movie will also win for best cinematography uh, cinematography best film editing best sound editing and original score and robert downey jr who, who i cannot believe has never won an oscar with all of his wonderful acting accolades and and credits that he is going to win for best supporting actor how could he have gone through this entire wonderful career of his and never won yeah, you know, you look back at his work in Chaplin, for example, which is remarkable, you know, and, and classic kind of Oscar bait, if you will, because it's a biopic and it's about Hollywood and Hollywood loves movies about Hollywood. Robert Downey Jr. would be the first one to tell you, Frank, he wasn't always the most popular guy in Hollywood. He Why? had this enormous talent, you know, from the time he was a teenager. He was on Saturday Night Live when he was 19. Uh, but, he, but, you know, he was he had a lot of problems with addiction and bad behavior. Uh, by the time he was cast in Iron Man, that was that was not easy. John Favreau made that happen. He vouched for him because insurance companies didn't want him. And, you know, that was the beginning of his comeback. And what I love about I thought he should have been nominated for playing Tony Stark. He's not playing Iron Man. He's playing Tony Stark, an incredibly complex and layered and interesting and flawed, but eventually heroic character who happens to put on a suit that makes him Iron Man, as opposed to some of these other superheroes who are always that superhero. Right. So, you know, Superman is really Superman. His alter ego is Clark Kent, but he's really Superman all the time. Uh, but, you know, in recent years, uh, everybody I've talked to says he's uh, Robert Downey Jr. is an absolute joy to work with on the sets. He's a great actor. So on top of everything, and by the way, his wife, Susan, who he, he uh, pointed out and, and singled out at the SAG Awards, you know, said she's been playing the role of her life, being a, married to him for 23 years. She's yeah. from Schaumburg. She's a oh. Schaumburg product. Yeah. And she's a producer. They met when she was a producer on one of his films. So, uh, you know, 
I think he wins. First of all, the performance is amazing. He doesn't even look like Robert Downey Jr. Hollywood loves the comeback story. It's a guaranteed standing ovation when he goes up there and wins. So it's all the elements you want. And so you say he wasn't popular at one time, but now he is. He's going to get a standing ovation. What turned it around? The fact that he beat addiction or what? Yeah. Yeah. He was I I won't go into all the details, but, you know, he was a terror on certain sets. I mean, I'm talking about when he was in his 20s, a long time ago, but he behaved badly in his personal life and professionally. Uh, and, you know, he's, as far as I know, been sober for a long time now. I did a Q&A with him years ago when he was not in a great place. And he was very gracious, but he was very jumpy. And on stage, he was difficult. To, he was like wrangling a herd of cats just to get him to concentrate. This was 20 years ago. You know, and I thought at the time, geez, I hope this guy comes out the other end or we're going to lose, you know, yet another actor young. But he's long past that now. He's a family man. He's a you know solid citizen by all accounts. Uh, actor actors who have worked with him say he's one of those actors who will show up on set even on days where he doesn't have a lot of work to do, just so you can you know play off of him instead of just uh, a stand-in. So all of that, and then on top of everything else, he's really good in the movie. Friend, it's a key yeah. role, uh, and it reminds us. You know, sometimes as great as he is, he gets off on those. You know, he's almost like a dramatic version of Jim Carrey where they're just doing their own riffs and they're in their own world and they're not really uh, interacting with the other cast members. That wasn't the case on Oppenheimer. He, it was a pure, authentic performance. You were among those who felt that Greta Gerwig and Margot Robbie were snubbed by the Oscars by not getting nominations for Best Director and Best Actress. And yet they're all laughing the way to the bank. You know, they have the most successful movie at the box office in the history of Warner Brothers. Why do you think the movie and Gerwig were overlooked? Was it sexism? Was it the kind of sexism that the doll Barbie was exposed, uh, you know, ex and the movie ab about it exposed so cleverly? It is kind of interesting that a film that, you know, it's it's a I mean, it's a satire, but it, it makes, you know, sharp points about the, the patriarchy. And then a movie that makes those points and is so successful gets overlooked, you know, for certain yeah. categories. Uh, you know, yeah, I think it's, you know, Greta Gerwig definitely deserves an Oscar nomination. Then again, you look at the five directors who are nominated, Fran, and it's like, well, then you got to eliminate one of them. You know, and same thing in the acting category. Uh, you know, you've got uh, Sandra Huller, who's a brilliant actress, Carrie Mulligan, Emma Stone, Annette Benning, Lily Gladstone. I'm not so sure which one of those performances I would, you know, pull out of there because you have to to make room for the other two. Uh, and, I, you know, I think they've handled it very gracefully. As you mentioned, it's like, first of all, you know, the film has a, a ton of nominations. I think Greta Gerwig is going to, with uh, her partner, uh, Noah Baumbach, I think they, they probably will win for screenplay, which will be pretty cool. Uh, Billie Eilish, that song that she did, of course, has won a lot of awards for Barbie. I think that will win. So it will win Oscars. And as you mentioned, uh, it has made, you know, an insane amount. It's the most successful film in the history of Warner Brothers, which is, you know, one of the most storied studios in Hollywood history. Think about that. Yeah. Did you buy Ryan Gosling as the bleach blonde Ken? I, I had a little trouble with that. Well, well, tell me why you had trouble with it. I'm curious. I don't know. I just don't buy him in that role. I just thought I, I think of him in so many other ways, but not that way. You know, I, I kind of get what you're saying. I think he's, you know, I think he's a really, really good actor, but he's got an edge to him 
mm-hmm. and he had to play this kind of dumbed down guy. It did crack me up when certain men were like offended by the portrayal of Ken. I'm like, that's how it, he he never had a job among the dolls. Barbie was a flight attendant, but then she was a doctor Barbie and Professor Barbie. He was always just the idiot boyfriend. Um, you know, and you know, you talk about that, Fran. I, I don't know necessarily that that's an Oscar nomination worthy performance, quite frankly. You know, yeah. you know, when you're talking about Robert Downey Jr. and mm-hmm. Oppenheimer, as opposed to Ryan Gosling in Barbie, those are in the same league. I don't think so. For Best Actress, you pick Lily Gladstone, as you mentioned, from Killers of the Flower Moon. That's a three and a half hour epic on Apple TV about the organized murders of Osage Indians by the powerful, corrupt and greedy white businessmen. This one, a lot of people did not see and did not plow their way through, unlike Oppenheimer. Why do you think that is? You know, that you're right. I mean, it didn't it's not a bomb. You know, it's going to make it's doing it's did okay. I do think, Fran, in this case, because this story is even, I think, in some ways more culturally complex uh, and layered than even Oppenheimer, you know, because of so much that was going on. And of course, as you probably know, you know, the book was more about the the Jesse Plemons character, who's the investigator who told it from his point of view. And they wisely shifted the focus to Leo's character and, and the Osage tribe. I think it would have worked better as like a six part limited series on Apple mm-hmm. TV plus. Yeah. With you I know agree. six 50, 50 minute episodes and you could have let it breathe even more. I, I really admired the film. I thought it was brilliantly done. You know, we talk about AI and special effects. Scorsese is still one of those filmmakers who will build the village. You know, he'll build that the town and bring in hundreds of extras and make sure, you know, gets 200 cars that are completely authentic to that exact time period. Uh, but it was it was long. I mean, it, there was a lot going on there. And I do feel maybe about halfway through, you're like, what is this story about? Because it's almost becomes like a mob movie with all the hits and the murders. And then it's this, you know, study of corruption. And then it's about the, the, the strong women of the tribe. Then it's about all these white men who, as you know, historically is correct, would marry uh, the Native American women and then take possession of their, their land. I mean, it, there's so much going on there. Uh, I do think. For folks who haven't seen it, it's you know it's not really a spoiler alert, but I think it was brilliant for Scorsese. Instead of doing the usual thing at the end of the movie where you show the credits and the pictures of the real people, he did more than that. He had a radio production summing up everything that happened like 10 years later and also showing how it was already being filtered by history. I thought that was a great touch. Yes. Alexander Payne's The Holdovers. I like this movie very much. A low-budget, low-key, sensitive movie about two lonely misfits, one a teacher, the other a student, stuck at a prep school over Christmas holidays. And it, it they make an important human connection with each other. You pick Paul Giamatti, the wonderful actor who plays the teacher for Best Actor. What did you like so much about this performance? Because it's such a character-driven story, friend. You know, it's set in the early 70s. It was actually filmed in the style of those films from the early 70s. Even uh, I think Alexander Payne even got a hold of some of the cameras from that time period. Yeah, a little fuzzy, case, right? Wasn't it a little fuzzy deliberately? Yeah, yeah. You, you see, like, at the beginning, you almost see, like, you know, it almost looks like, oh, gosh, was there a scratch in the lens? And some of that was done, actually, with special effects, but most of it was done with the camera style. I love movies like this that are all about the characters. And, you know, 
Paul Giamatti, he's another one, Fran, who's been nominated but has never won an Academy Award. And, you know, whether it's on TV in, uh, you know, something like Billions or whatever, you know, Sideways, I thought, is one of the great wine-drinking movies of all time, right? Yeah, great. Uh, and Julian Murphy's great, and he might win, but the way I look at it is this. I can picture other actors playing Oppenheimer. I could say, oh, Eddie Redmayne could play Oppenheimer. I look at the holdovers, and there are a lot of great character actors, but I'm like, nobody would have been better in that role than Paul Giamatti. You also picked Divine uh, Joy Randolph as Best Supporting Actress for her role in The Holdovers. She plays the cook at this prep school who is struggling with the sudden death of her young son, a promising young student at the school. She's struggling through her first Christmas without him. And you call her portrayal of Mary the heart and soul of this movie. I think, first of all, it's a great performance, friend. But yes, because... You know, Paul Giamatti, Paul Giamatti's character of Paul, his name is Paul, is a terrible person for most of the movie. We we finally see some, you know, shreds of humanity and decency, especially in certain gestures he makes at the end. But if Divine Joy Randolph, if Mary, if this character who is, in, as you mentioned, she's grieving, she's kind of invisible at this prep school but also very well respected. But we like her and respect her. And we think, well, if she considers this guy a friend, maybe we'll stick with him too. So she's kind of the reason we stick with his character throughout because, you know, she's like, come on, watch TV with me. I'll cook dinner for you. I'll set you straight when you need it. So it's, it's a classic supporting actor Oscar type of performance. And the subtlety of grief is not so easy to portray. Absolutely right. You know, sometimes you get those big scenes where there's this long speech about, you know, this and that, but just it was done in a much more subtle way, whether it was the fact that, you know, you know, she have a little nip of alcohol or, you know, we'd see a picture on the mantle, you know, just little things like that. In the writing categories near and dear to both of our hearts, you pick Anatomy of a Fall for original screenplay. I have not seen this Cannes Film Festival Award winner yet. What did you like so much about this, the writing in this murder mystery and courtroom thriller, I believe, about a woman who had a troubled marriage accused of murdering her husband after he suffers some kind of uh, mysterious fall? That's exactly the setup, friend. And it is one of those movies. It's so, the, the performances are great, but it's because of the, the way the screenplay is crafted, as you mentioned. So the, the husband dies and then the trial is all about, you know, did he commit suicide? Was it an accident? Was it murder? And it's one of those films that people are still debating it after the movie, which I love. You know, and I think I know what happened, and I'm, but I'm not going to say. So, you know, it reminds me of, of classic screenplays like The Usual Suspects or The Sixth Sense, where the writing is just so perfect. And when you watch it, you can't wait to watch it a second time because now you know what they were building to all along. And not like The Jagged Edge where you know who did it. <laughs> You, you mentioned Jagged Edge. That was that one with was that Clark Close and Jeff Bridges. Yes, yes. Uh, and my favorite. I'm sorry, we'll give a spoiler since it was 30 years ago. My the favorite typewriter. Part is, the typewriter. Yeah, he leaves. The, he leaves the the evidence that'll convict him just in the closet. <laughs> yeah, good. So how convenient is that? 
The Netflix movie Maestro, directed by Bradley Cooper, who also plays the starring role of composer and conductor Leonard Bernstein. You picked that movie for only one award, and that is makeup and hairstyling. Even though there was controversy about the prosthetic nose that Bradley Cooper wore in that movie, some people thought it was an ethics stereotype. But but why didn't you what didn't you like about this movie? Um, I thought the beginning of it was a bit pretentious, but I ended up really liking it. And I really liked Carrie Mulligan's performance of Bernstein's wife, Felicia Montealegro, who I didn't know anything about. Um, What 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 didn't you like so much about this? No, I mean, I loved it. I I gave it a a great rating. I I think it falls a little bit short of, you know, Oscar winner. as much as I love the Carrie Mulligan performance, we got so deep into the weeds with her illness, which is all true. And I'm saying this all with due respect, but then it became kind of classic, you know, like love story in a million other movies about, you know, someone who's slowly dying and and how tragic that is and kind of got away from the biography. You mentioned the makeup and hair and, you know, friend, it was, it's interesting because, you know, all these people, they see one picture and they're like, Oh my God, that's terrible. And then, you know, the great thing about YouTube is you can go on YouTube. Obviously, you look at photos, but if you go on YouTube, there's a there's a scene in the movie where uh, they give a, a, a television interview. And that's almost verbatim from an actual television interview they gave. And then when you see Bernstein, you realize that the makeup and hair is spot on. He looks exactly like him. Right. But this was a complicated movie about a married man who continued to have affairs with both women and men and a wo- and a woman who knew all this, his best mm-hmm. friend, and, 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 and thought she could change him somehow and then couldn't live with it. And then he ends up leaving her and coming back to care for her until her death after this illness diagnosis. It was very complicated, but very interesting. No, you're absolutely right. And I think, you know, there were some valid criticisms saying that even though there were some really cool stylized production numbers that kind of illustrated what was going on with, with his life, there's barely a mention of West Side Story and some of his other, you know, incredible works. So, you know, if you look at biopics of, uh, you know, even the recent Bob Marley, one love, you know, pick friend, it's it, it also gets into his sometimes complicated personal life and and various you know things that went on, but it's also a celebration of his life's work. And there's no, you know any number of studio and performance sessions. There are some in my show, but then sometimes we go forty minutes without really talking about some. They skip over, and that was a choice made by Bradley Cooper. He wanted to, he wanted to make a love story, a very as you mentioned, very complicated love story. But I think some people were a little disappointed that there wasn't more focus on his career. And here's a movie I really liked and you didn't pick for any Oscar, and that is American Fiction. I thought it was well acted, most importantly, original. Yes, it was. And it's no slight. It's just, you know, there's only so much room. And I know Jeffrey Wright has won, I think just won an uh, uh, Independent Spirit Award. I think it's for a film like that, Fran, I think it's, it, you know, the old cliche about it being an honor to be just nominated it still helps these films a lot because there are a lot of people who are saying, I don't know what that is. It kind of got lost. It was released, you know, limited release right around the holidays. All these other big movies were still out there. So the fact that it gets Oscar nominations, that we see clips from the film at these award shows that we see Jeffrey Wright, it definitely will drive more people to watch it. Jimmy Kimmel will be hosting the Oscars for the fourth time. Do you like him as host? What do you expect from him? 
Yeah, I do. I've known Jimmy a long time. I think he he does a really good job of skirting the line between having fun, but also respecting the evening. You, you can't go too far off. You know, it, granted, it's the toughest job in the world because you're playing to a crowd that's not really there to be entertained. They're all nervous about whether or not they're going to win, you know, and you can't make too much fun of them because it's their biggest night. But you got to have a little bit of fun poking fun at them. So he's more in the mode, I think, of like when Johnny Carson used to host uh, way back in the day, you'd get Bob Hope. Uh, Steve Martin was a great host where they're not trying to make it about them. They'll do, he'll do a, a, a seven minute monologue. They'll do a couple of, you know, sketches in between, but he knows that it's going to be three hours and let's, you know, let's move it along. And the starting time is early 6 PM for us. That's for us. That's actually for us. Are you and for me? You, easier on deadline, right? <laughs> I, I think everything should start. Fran, don't you think everything should start earlier? I think yes. the Super Bowl start earlier. I think the screenings I have to see. Yes, because we have deadlines. That's so my right. editors and I are thrilled about this fact. You know, I'll be, you know, I'll be done by 11 o'clock instead of 1230. What do you think the ratings will be this time? Of course, the most watched Oscars was the Titanic Oscars. Will this be because we had this huge box office, another large rating? You know, it'll do well. No one's ever going to touch that 40 some million. You know, 1997 television was different, friend. You know, people had the four big channels and maybe they had a few cable options. They didn't. None of the streaming services existed. So you're never going to get these numbers. The, the Oscars will do well. It will be maybe the seventh or eighth most popular program of the year it won't be the top super bowl always will have that but you know you can't beat football so and people will tune in for some of it you know and listen i get this too i hear people saying well i haven't i don't go to the movies anymore I, i've got you know i'm working my wife is working my husband's working we've got three kids you know the only movies we see are you know pixar movies i get that you know but i do think as you said because of the popularity of barbie and oppenheimer uh that it'll it'll get a nice number and before we let you go, what's coming up for us this summer and the year ahead for the movies quickly? I, I can tell you it's coming out next week. I can never look more forward than that because I got to do eight reviews a week for the Sun Times. They never let up on us, friend. <laughs> OK. All right. Well, what's the biggest thing that's coming in, uh, that we should, can look forward to? Is there one? June part, June part two is the biggest movie coming out probably uh, in the next couple of months, people love the original. It got six Oscars and uh, they're very excited about the sequel, which I can tell you is is unbelievable. and has to be seen on the big screen. Richard Roper, you are a delight to talk to. You know your business and you talk about it so eloquently and with such enthusiasm. It's infectious. Thank you for joining us. Good luck with the Oscars and the early deadlines. Good for you. And we will <laughs> see you all next week. Thanks so much, Fred. 